All right, it's Kincaid and Breckenridge. Welcome to the highlight version uh, of the podcast, or the lowlight version, perhaps, <laughs> in some days. Uh, but no, a lot of uh, heated discussion around the issue of refugees today. But we did hear from Michelle Rempel, Calgary MP, and now the Conservative Party's uh, critic for immigration, refugees, and citizenship. True, true. We also took a lot of phone calls at 974-8255 to hear what people's thoughts were today on refugee resettlement in Calgary. You can listen to our show every weekday, Monday to Friday, from 9.30 to 12.30 on News Talk 770 AM. And don't forget to check out our podcast at com. All right. Well, we, we spoke earlier this morning, as mentioned, about this whole refugee situation. We're about 40-ish days away from the end of the year and still awaiting details on what the government's plan is to get 25,000 refugees here by the end of the year. I mean, some details have been leaking out about the cost of uh, of this and, and how the government might do so, but uh, still awaiting details. We did get, though, this morning uh, from the federal government a uh, fiscal update. And it's interesting because they're saying that, you know, sure, we plan on running deficits, but that we actually inherited a deficit, uh, not the, the surplus that the conservatives had been talking about during the campaign. Now, Michelle Rempel uh, joins us in her new capacity, I might add, as a uh, critic for immigration and refugees uh, here on uh, News Talk 770. Um, Michelle, welcome back to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. So uh, why don't we focus on the, well... I mean, we might ask you some other questions about the, the, the new deficit that was uh, supposed to be a surplus back before election time. But let's focus on the refugee picture for right now. Uh, we did get this fiscal update out of the Liberals today. And is it clear how much uh, money they plan to allocate to resettling these 25000 Well, I guess the point to make here is that Canadians are still in the dark with regard to the government's plan to bring in 25,000 refugees in, as you said, about 40-ish days. Um, What we've heard from leaked details to the media is that the plan will cost roughly five times more than what the Liberals put in their campaign platform, uh, which, of course, didn't have a plan attached to it. You know, I think what I want to start by saying is that everybody in Canada understands the gravity and seriousness of the crisis that is happening in that region. I think, you know, it's incumbent upon us to do our part, but it's also incumbent upon the government to explain to Canadians how they're going to achieve this, how they're going to ensure that they're going to care for 25,000 people in a very short period of time, and also address some of the safety concerns that Canadians have put to date. And I think this could be put to bed uh, by having a plan that is fully transparent and is put forward to Canadians. But again, to date, with not a lot of time left, we haven't heard anything from the government. All right. Well, obviously, the, the Conservatives had a plan to, to bring in additional 10,000 refugees to Canada. So it was a, a smaller number, and it was uh, over a longer period of time. But, but perhaps you could talk about how that would have been accomplished. What, what was the government's plan then to get those 10,000 refugees here? Uh, well, we've done a lot of things in the last couple of years to uh, ensure that we're in a good position for processing uh, um, for processing refugee claims in an expedited fashion that still is cognizant of our security processes. So one of the things that we did uh, was over time to clear the backlog of refugee claims that were in effect uh, so that refugee processing was actually happening in real time by the end of our government's uh, tenure. That said, there is a very rigorous process that is attached to screening refugees. And, uh, you know, what we've heard from, uh, you know, experts as well as different media reports is that there are concerns that the government will have to cut corners in this process to expedite uh, the flow of refugees in that condensed 
self-imposed timeline. And I think that's the concern that Canadians have. Everybody wants to help. Everyone wants to ensure that Canada is doing their part. But there are serious questions about the rigorousness of screening. I know that uh, one of the things that we're hearing is that screening will be happening here in Canada, uh, actually after uh, the flow has happened. And we, I think a lot of people just want to know what that means. Uh, you know, what happens if someone fails a process once they're on Canadian soil? So I think these are fair questions. You know, I don't think they're partisan questions. I think that they're questions once answered that will help to, uh, you know, ensure that refugees arriving in Canada uh, are cared for appropriately. But we're just, we're just not seeing this to date. And I think that's what's disappointing a lot of Canadians. What would the conservative plan have been? I, I understand it's a, a hypothetical, but you know this was obviously well, a huge campaign issue, and the conservatives definitely did resettle refugees over the course of their uh, yes. their governments. So what was, what and, was different about what they did than about what uh, the liberals plan or don't well, or just, haven't told us? <laughs> just to uh, reemphasize your point, we were uh, you know I think a world leader in bringing refugees to Canada from that region. Uh, you know, certainly with over 20,000 from the region to date, we had announced in January of 2015 an additional 10,000 refugees over a period of time, uh, as well as additional commitments uh, during the campaign period, actually prior to the crisis hitting the, you know, national media front page. This is a, an area that's always been of concern for our government. We're very, uh, our previous government, we were very concerned about the fact that there are groups in the region that are facing immediate genocide. Um, you know, certainly this is something that we want to do our part, but we also were very clear that there needs to be an appropriate process and time in place to screen potential refugees coming to the country, as well as to ensure that there are programming and resources in place to help with language training, housing, all of those sorts of things that allow for positive social inclusion for refugees when they come to this country. That's something that I think all Canadians want to see. They want to see partnerships with local community groups, ensuring that there is adequate housing, social programming, etc. I think that was a hallmark of our plan. I think the big concern with the government's plan is they put in place an arbitrary self-imposed deadline without the necessary details to back that up. So when done right, I mean, um, do we have the capacity to screen large numbers of refugees? Do we have the capacity to do so before they arrive in Canada? Do we have the capacity to, to accommodate them here at home if it's done in a responsible manner? Well, and that's the rub, right? Uh, you know, the questions that are being raised, like, so, for example, in the uh, leaked details that came out yesterday, was that uh, biometric data would be used to screen. Well, against what database? Who's going to be doing that screening? Where is it happening? What are the criteria? Those are the sorts of questions uh, I think that a lot of Canadians are looking to be answered. I don't think that's an unreasonable question to ask. Um, you know, when we talk about responsible, uh, there are a lot of best practices put in place. Uh, you know, certainly when we look at uh, international pe- best practice as well, that stuff takes time. So if we are going to compress the time period and we know that there are legitimate security concerns, how do we show Canadians uh, that that uh, responsibility has been carried out? And that's the questions that we've been asking um you know, through our role as the official opposition. I think it's one that many Canadians are asking as well.
Okay. Prior to uh, the election, uh, there was a story that broke about the uh, the Prime Minister's office having involvement in vetting uh, refugee case files. And the Prime Minister addressed it by saying, uh, quote, our government has adopted a generous approach to the admission of refugees while ensuring the selection of the most vulnerable people and keeping our country safe and secure. The audit we asked for earlier this year was to ensure the policy directives are being met. Political staff are never involved in approving refugee applications. Such decisions are made by officials in the Department of Citizenship and Immigration. So presumably then, since on record we do not have any terrorists that have been imported uh, uh, through the refugee program, that, uh, that, that the system is working, that uh, uh, the process is keeping Canada safe and secure. So what exactly were the Conservatives doing that the Liberals should continue to do uh, and answer in detail, if you don't mind, to put those Canadian uh, concerns at ease? Well, I think you're comparing apples to oranges, right? Because we were admitting folks into Canada over a period of time through a process that took into consideration, you know, a wide variety of vetting criteria that happened over time. What we're talking about here is having 25,000 folks enter the country in a very, very compressed period of time. Uh, so the, the question is actually embedded in what you just asked me. What is being cut in order to achieve that self-imposed deadline? Uh, and that's what we hope the government will answer. Um, you know, we don't know that. I can't answer that for you. And that's where I hope, you know, the immigration minister, a public safety minister, rather than just saying, you know, wait for the plan, the plan is good, uh, we need to start seeing details because of the timeline that we're facing. Okay, but that's what I'm asking here. And and I don't necessarily... Well, listen, to play devil's advocate here, they, they don't necessarily have to cut. They can make it more expensive by doubling the effort and doubling the cost. And I'm sure that we would have some criticism of, of that as well. But if they wanted to continue doing the same thing that the conservatives were doing, just twice as much of it at twice the expense, then presumably that could resettle, uh, you know, double the amount, if you will, of refugees that uh, the conservative government was, was able to settle. But in, in your prior response, you criticized uh, this biometric assessment compared against what databases – so I guess we are to assume then that the conservative government didn't use biometric assessment in its refugee screening process. Not at all. I'm actually asking what biometric data databases at this point the liberals are going to do. They've said that they are going to have to compress the time period, right? I, I understand what you're saying. Well, I'm saying well, they would use the same we, ones that you guys used. If we put more resources in place, then we should be able to you know, do this in an expedited time frame. But the fact is that it takes a certain period of time to vet someone, right? We, we've heard that both from uh, folks that are in the Canadian security, um, you know, with, with, with backgrounds in the Canadian security industry, as well as uh, folks that are in the United States who said, look, this, this takes time. It takes time, especially, uh, you know, when you're following documentation, uh, all of that sort of stuff where you might not have access in the same way that you would in different regions. So, you know, during the campaign, we had uh, changed some of the criteria. There, there are certain criteria that you would use through the United Nations in ter- terms of deeming who is a refugee. That doesn't change the fact that you still need to have a certain period of time to check all of this type of data. So even if you put more resources on the ground, the question becomes, how are you compressing that time period that it usually takes to ensure, you know, that documentation is valid, uh, that you're, 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 you know, you are dealing with other partners in terms of security vetting. There is standard processes in place, but it takes time. Uh, it mm-hmm. takes usually quite a bit longer than the period that we're dealing with, and that's what we're asking the Liberals. Uh, you know, you can certainly put more frontline officers to get applications started. That's, that's a great thing. That's something that we should be doing, and we committed to during the election. Uh, 
but it's really what are you doing and how long is it going to take from there? Is it only going to take four weeks to get someone, uh, you know, vetted? And, and those are the questions that, you know, I don't have answers to and I don't think a lot of Canadians have answers to right now. In terms of the screening or the vetting anyway, hasn't, hasn't a lot of it been done already in the sense that these refugees register with the UN High Commission on Refugees and then the UN High Commission on Refugees vets those and creates its own resettlement list? For, for countries like Canada. So they've already whittled down their own numbers, and they've vetted these people, and they've handed us the list of, of people that they say are, are suitable resettlement candidates. So that's obviously we still need to do our own vetting from that point on, but hasn't the U.N. done a, a big chunk of it? Well, the latter half of your section is where the, uh, your statement is where the rub is, right? We still need to do our vetting. And that is where the lack of transparency is right now that I think where the questions are arising from. What vetting is the Canadian government going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I, we've been talking about this for a long time now. I just want to reemphasize, as, as you know, from the Conservative Party and you know, my position on the opposition, uh, opposition bench, we want to help these folks. I really do. Like, I mean, you see the situation there, and you want to ensure that we're helping. But I think it's very fair to ask it: How are we as Canadians, with our own processes, vetting these people? All right. Well, Michelle, we'll leave it at that. Thanks so much for your time today. Much appreciated. Take care. All right. Take care. That's Michelle Rempel, uh, MP for Calgary Nose Hill, conservative MP, Calgary Nose Hill, and also the uh, critic for immigration and refugees. All right. Well, look, they, they say they're committed to bringing refugees here, that they resettled a number of refugees during their time in office. They had a plan. Had they won the election to bring 10,000 here? But a lot of questions about how we're going to get to 25,000 in the next 40 days. we got to take a break here. We're back with more right after this. Um, do you want to get some phone calls or do you want to save the, let's, why don't we save the levity for a time when, if this gets tense, because we're talking about refugees, so if this gets intense, we've got a little bit of levity that we can throw in. You think it's going to get tense? Well, let's see here. <laughs> what does uh, recent history show us? <laughs> uh, well, let's find out. 974-8255 is our telephone number. Let's go to the phones. Uh, Howie's on the line. Good morning, Howie. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. I think I, I, I mean, I, I might be able to help out. And I think that the way you guys approach it is, is maybe misleading to people and doesn't help the situation. Because what do you mean? I don't, think pe- I don't think people are afraid of refugees. I'm not afraid of the refugees, and I don't think other people are. Some people might be, but I think that's a minority. I think I'm concerned about refugees, and I, that's a difference between saying I'm afraid of them. Um, I'm concerned about how they're going to be in, integrated into our way of life here. And I like to say way of life because I don't, I'm not talking about our difference in religions or our difference in what we believe, but just the way we live in Canada and across Canada. And I'm going to give you two quick examples. And one is I was walking into a supermarket one day and a, a, an immigrant with their small child was walking out eating a popsicle. The little kid had pulled the paper off and thrown it right on the ground, you, and, and you could tell that they were not uh, long-term Canadian citizens. And another man walking in had said to the gentleman, hey, little fella, you know, you should throw your garbage in the garbage can. Very politely, I was walking right behind him, and the other guy got very offended that this gentleman was trying to tell his child what to do and was basically ready to get into a fist fight with this guy because he was trying to teach the, this child, you know, in this country, we put our garbage in the garbage can. Okay. And he's just, he was being polite. You know, that's a simple example of how people tend to 
uh, not see things the, the way that they're meant to be seen. Another quick example is I myself was driving in a snowstorm last winter. I was going up a hill in my truck, I, and it was a very deep snow. The city hadn't got to the side streets yet. There was another gentleman behind me who was East Indian and new to the country, and I know this because he wound up going to my neighbor's house at the end of it all, but I got stuck, and I had waved out my window for the gentleman behind me to back up because in Canada, you know, you, you wave, people kind of figure, oh, the guy's stuck, back up, give him some room. This guy was ready to, uh, again, ready to fist fight me in the street because I had waved to him to back up, and he felt I was being disrespectful. You know, and I explained it to him after the fact, you know, we're in Canada here, and you know, this is it's just little courtesies that we extend to each other because we understand our way of life. Okay. And uh, I think I'm concerned about people that come here and don't re don't respect basically the way of life. If the guy's stuck in front of you, get out and push. Okay, I, I, get, I, I, I get you, Howie. I get you. And you, may, you, you lay out some really good uh, examples here. But, 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 and it's just concerns. You, you got fears. it. That's you, all I'm trying you, to say. You got it, and you've laid them out really well. But here's, here's how I – this is my response, and this is my honest response to you, Howie, because I, I have the yeah. same concerns. But those concerns are not from me about immigrants, refugees, even tourists, any visitors to this country. Those are concerns that I have about pretty much everybody that's within the borders of Canada. So this is my this is my homework for you. Okay, I want you to think about how many times you have had uh, some sort of any kind of traffic altercation with a born and raised old stock Canadian, if you will. And I also want you to Google pictures of the Pemberton Music Festival. The Pemberton Music Festival aftermath. That was not attended exclusively by foreigners and immigrants and refugees. That was uh, a rock concert held in the pristine mountain country north of Whistler, British Columbia. And look at what non-immigrants did to that place when they left. Yeah, that's, a, yeah, I, you know, I, I think, again, people tend to, to have selective memories and certain anecdotes will stand out to you if you're trying to confirm some kind of perception. I've had all kinds of uh, interactions with all kinds of jerks over the years, and uh, a lot of them have been uh, pretty white-looking people. Uh, conversely, uh, immigrants uh, can be some of the most generous, polite people you'd ever meet. So uh, I don't know that anecdotes can inform this debate. The, the notion, though, that... Um, you know, someone new to Canada is not going to be familiar with life in Canada, therefore shouldn't come to Canada until they're ready, right? It's it's a, an illogical loop that essentially means you can never come here. Why can't I come here? Because you're not familiar with how things are here. Well, how can I become familiar with how things are there if you won't let me come there? Well, I guess you can't come here then. You know, I, I live next to this guy named Gary. He's a great, great neighbor of mine. Uh, he's Jamaican and he's white, which is a very funny story about how we met. But anyway, um, he came here to be Canadian, right? He, he tried the States. He tried Canada. He came here to be Canadian. Um, but he still re retains a lot of his Jamaican heritage, and thank God for that, because when I go for lunch with him from time to time and we eat Jamaican food and I'm around all his friends who are talking in, in this hilarious and beautiful patois, I kind of think to myself, like, when we share our cultures, it's so much better. I, I'm with Howie. I want people to come to Canada and get the Canadian experience because I think it's wonderful and I think it's something that everybody in the world should get to have. Canada is the best country on the planet. We all know that. And I'm not just pandering to the audience in the greatest city in the world. But I'm telling you something, man, that when you reach out and you get to know these people, eat their food, break bread with them, it's awesome. It works really, really well. Let's get to you. Uh, hi, Bobby. How you doing? Oh, hi. First of all, I work for an oil field company. And we just laid off another five. And, you know, if, if they're going to... Uh, 
it's uh, our prime minister. I have a hard time saying his name because I lived during the National Energy Program. Uh, Bombardier is losing money. They just got a bailout from Quebec yeah, no government, and their lobbyists are asking Trudeau government to match with another 1.3 billion bailout. Yeah. What about all? The, how about bailing out these oil companies? How about helping out these people? Over 30,000 people here, just in Calgary and in Airdrie, that have no jobs. Uh, this is and, and this is ludicrous. Okay. And, and we have to pay for these other people when we don't have any money ourselves. Right here in Airdrie, what they have is the Lionists were saying that they were feeding 300 people here. Now they've gone up last yesterday, they told me 5,000 people. I mean, you know, it's nice to be the good guy, the nice guy, but you know what? None of us have any money. We've all been cut. We, our, our wages are down to the slivers. Uh, and, and here we're going to... Uh, and so I'm just saying, everybody, it's time that everybody said no. And not only that, but when, when we have somebody like the Iman, who uh, is not sorry for calling Stephen Harper a murderous dictator, and you know we, we and we bring in these guys. What about the guy that uh, blew up France? There, the the head honcho. He worked over at Chinook Theater, and not only did he work at the the theater, what? he said he was going to blow up the West. He was going to blow up the West. The guy in France. That carried yeah, out the, the guy that was the head honcho there, he worked over at Chinook no, Theater. No, I think, I think you're, I think you're okay. conflating a couple of different stories. But Bobby raises some very legitimate concerns that we brought up yesterday, that if Alberta is not the best place because we don't have the, the, the economic capability of, of supporting refugees when they come here, then maybe we shouldn't take on as many as uh, are being prescribed, if you will. Right. Well, again, it sounds like she's making more of an economic argument. That uh, times are tough, and you know we need to close the borders. So she's not even just talking about refugees. I mean, if your your argument is that companies are laying people off, we should stop all immigration and stop all refugees. Nobody should come here. That's essentially what she's saying. But in the long run, that's that's not going to help us. We don't have a birth rate to sustain our level of productivity. In the short term, you can look at that. In the long term, that's that's just, in my view, the, the complete wrong approach to take. We take in hundreds of thousands of, of uh, immigrants and refugees included in that every year, every single year. And that number went up under the big bad conservatives. And amid all of that, you know, despite we had the recession in, in 09, we got a downturn now. Despite that, and you want to take a longer view, go back over 20 years. More Canadians are working now than ever before. The argument that bringing people here exacerbates our unemployment, then every single year over the last 20 years, unemployment should have got worse. Every single year, because every single year we brought in hundreds of thousands of new Canadians. That didn't happen. Why is that? Well, what about the argument, though, that if there are economies uh, in, in Canada that are better suited to handle this influx of people, why not? Put them there if it's better for them. I mean, I'm just looking at it on balance and saying, if you've got a guy who you could either put in Calgary or Moncton, and the the prospects of living and working are better in Moncton, why would you send him to Calgary? Is it just that we have to uh, take our, our, our fair share of refugees? Is it that we have to have an equal number allotted to every province? Because I'm looking for the route that gives the most success and the best quality of life to the person who is displaced from the other side of the world and gets to come live here. And see, that's a different argument, right? 
part of the argument is that the, the nature of these refugees themselves. There, there was an interesting piece in the Toronto Star, and it quotes Peter Scheller, who we, we played a clip of him yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, and see, to me, that this is, is, is reassuring. This is the kind of stuff I want to see. Uh, so it explains this process here. It says the U.N. High Commission on Refugees triages these refugees, the ones who are in the camps. They say we have a number of biometric security and anti-fraud measures, including iris scanning. So they've got their own registered data. It goes into an interconnected global system. So the UNHCR triages the refugees and selects a very small number, about 1%. 1% who would make good candidates for resettlement by countries such as Canada. So already the UN has taken 1% of the total number of refugees in these camps. So we take that 1% and we say to countries like Canada, pick from this pool. So we've already excluded 99% of the people in these camps. Women with children, unaccompanied minors, the elderly, the sick, the vulnerable are given priority. Here's an important takeaway. Young single men who may have been combatants or cannot account for missing identity documents do not make the cut. So people are saying, and they're calling us and texting us, saying, you know, Robin Raj, I was watching on, on TV and I saw these group of refugees in, in Hungary. And it was all young men, all mm-hmm. single men. Uh, that doesn't seem like a cross-section of, of the population. That I don't want that. Well, we're getting the exact opposite. Young single men who may have been combatants or cannot account for missing identity documents do not get the cut. We give priority to women with children, unaccompanied minors, children, the elderly, sick, and vulnerable. That's who gets priority. Canada picks from this 1%, and then we do our own screening of those individuals. I love that comment, too. And I know that texter who's te- who sent that last one in. But it's like, if you've talked to soldiers, if you've hung out with soldiers, I mean, if you've raised a glass with some Afghanistan vets, soldiers are a special breed. I get a tear in my eye on November 11th for you guys because you do something I'm not, I don't have the guts to do. You soldier, you go fight, you go to war. Um, I'll tell you something. Not everybody's cut out for it, and I don't think that uh, slapping a, a C8 rifle in some guy's hand who's running away from horror and saying, hey, turn around, get in there, that's not realistic. And I think that that's pretty small-minded. And I would I would challenge that guy who texts that into us, who's trolling us, by the way. Um, I bet you he's too chicken to go fight, too. Otherwise, he'd have enlisted, right? We're going to take a break right here. Jim, you're up next. You've been very patient. We're going to get to your call right after this short commercial break. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Nine seven four eight two five five. Let's keep taking some calls here. And uh, Jim is next, as promised. Jim, thanks for calling in. Yeah, thanks a lot. Can you hear me? I'm I'm uh, on speakerphone. Okay. Yep. No, you sound fine. Hey, I just thought of something different. This is a huge windfall for the single males. If we're only taking in widows, single women, and children, we've got an instant family. <laughs> we've got grandma and grandpa to take care of. The kids that we're going to have, that we can populate more so that, and we can tell them, hey, you can take that hat off, let your hair down, and be free. Or we can take the other route of, since we will become half Muslims, maybe we can have more than one wife. But let me say something about Mary Nancy. Okay, go ahead. And really, really hurts the integrity of people. He's always right. Everyone else is always wrong. 
This guy's a huge narcissist, and he's using his race or whatever as a weapon against everybody. Whoa, wait, 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 wait a second, Jim. That has to be that has to be uh, supported. What do you mean he's using his race as a weapon? Well, no, his his standing, like the Obama. If you say anything, oh, you're a bigot. You're a racist. Oh, no, that's not true, any, Jim. Any, Jim, this Jim, come this comes up a lot, Jim. But and, let's be realistic about something. How is our police? How is our police? going to vet these people when the United States says they can't even vet the people. But, okay, but I mean, where does that an argument? Jim, hang on. Unbelievable. Jim, Jim, hang on a second. But let, anyways, me, let, me, let me ask you a few windfall. questions. It's a great windfall <laughs> for the single males. Jim, can you and hang on? Can we I'm, take anything positive away from it? It's that. Okay, Jim, let me ask you a few questions, all right? Yeah. Are you ready? First of all, when has, if the U.S. can't do it, then surely Canada can't. When has that been an argument that you've been willing to support? Well... I don't know about this. Oh, we got to do it, and we got to do it really quick. Okay. Well, when we've, attacked, we've attacked that. government done something and done it really quick and had great, like, look at yeah. Russia. We're all in agreement I mean, yeah, there. Yeah, that's, that's the yeah. whole point we're trying to make we're here. We're all in agreement. That we're all in agreement that this is being done too quickly. Yeah. And we're all in agreement that Brad Wall is, is certainly uh, on the right track in, in saying what he said. Right? We're all in agreement here on that, right? Yes. Okay. okay. So but, the, but what we're getting from, from callers, though, and just let me interject, is, is not that, okay, let's take another six months to do this. Well, yeah. Certainly what we've heard already this morning, I don't know that you would disagree, is that we shouldn't take them at all, right? Well, Trump had a good idea. Why can't we, like most people, don't want to leave their country? They love it there. They're born there. They have culture there. Why can't we protect them there? Well, how well, would you, well, we're going to have to. We're going to have to. I don't know. Jim, I don't know. I th- listen, I, if you want to try and dissect like the civil the war. Cold? No, if you think that. No. <laughs> well, I don't. <laughs> if you want to try to dissect the Syrian civil war, though, I mean, which who do you like better? Do you like Assad, al-Nusra? Who do you like better? Do you like uh, uh, Hezbollah or do you like ISIS? Which one do you want to pick? Who do you know? I mean, who See, do we, there we go. So we've know? got people that want to kill each other. You've got four factions that are equally hell-bent on eliminating each other. And then you've got all these other people who don't even want to pick up a gun. They just want to serve falafels, and they're caught in the middle of it all. So what, right. is, what are you supposed There's to do some... in a situation like this? But here's the big question I want to ask you, Jim, because this is important, and you're, you're man enough to phone in and make this assertion, and I really dig that. Now, if Obama says something and you disagree with him, that makes you a racist, right? Well, I disagree with you, because Obama wants to do something... Uh, he wants, raise some taxes or or uh he doesn't put in a carbon tax but instead he threatens uh, uh he, he shuts down keystone XL. okay now yeah. does that make me a racist because i disagree with his policy well well the left spins things uh, they dig into uh, your it's past a, it's and a simple they, question they, oh, and, yeah, and i know you, i know you, i know you know the answer jim <laughs> i know you know the answer that because i disagree with obama's stance on keystone xl does that make me racist well, to me, it doesn't. Okay, it, because you're but, a rational thinking man, because it doesn't make me racist. But if I yeah. phrase the argument this way, if I phrase the argument this way, Obama is a terrible president. He shut down Keystone XL. A white president would have never done that. Does that make me a racist? Well, the thing here, how about the Trudeau got, uh, shutting down uh, any oil from uh, Vancouver or something like that? He's going to shut down the gateway. Isn't that right? It's talking about the the North Coast, yeah. that they want to make that free of, of tanker traffic. No. So Vancouver would still be fine. Jim, it's been a great phone Global call. Global warming is a sham. Okay. <laughs> and you know about that, that Pemberton thing? Yeah. About that Pemberton thing? Yeah. Who do you think was there? Teenagers and young adults. Are yeah. you going to... If you try to tell them anything, what's they're gonna? What are they gonna say? <laughs> Jim, Jim knows what I'm. Thanks for the call, buddy. Jim knows what I'm talking about. That Pemberton picture is just horrible to see. What what they did to that okay. campground, anyway. 
Uh, well, I don't know. Jim kind of got all over the map a bit there. So I don't even know what, what to respond to there. The, the racism angle, Rob, is that it, like it's perfectly ra- – there are so many rational concerns. But if, if your concerns are irrational and they're based on race and you dig in without wanting to, to get the, the best information, that's where the claims of racism come from. Look, I, I mean, I, I certainly agree with Jim that the mayor always thinks he's right. The, the mayor <laughs> seems to think very highly of himself, and the mayor is, uh, I think, hypersensitive when it comes to criticism. I, I think all that's true. I, I don't think the mayor is playing the race card to shield himself from criticism. I think there have been times when he's been willing to defend his religion, because I think people have asked him to. And, and that's understandable. As a Muslim, things are being said about his faith. He feels a need to defend that. I don't have a problem with that. But the notion that People are afraid to criticize the mayor because they're going to be called racist. I don't, I don't get that that's true at all. I don't see that. Uh, hi, Carol. Thanks for the call. Hi. Um, I don't really know why we're debating or discussing the whole refugee issue anyways. Okay. I don't even think we should bother screening them. Just let them in. Just let them in. And eventually they'll in- infiltrate everything here. We'll change and bend our rules to suit them. And if anything happens terrorist-wise, we'll condemn it. That's all we'll do. And we'll do nothing about it. So I'm just <laughs> glad I won't be alive in 50 years to see how that'll be. As for today, though, Carol, I mean, where do you live? Do you live in the city? Yes, I do. And you notice it's really Chinese all around you? It's just like nothing but Chinese signs, Chinese food restaurants, Chinese laundries, Chinese silk clothes everywhere, conical hats, uh, rickshaws, that sort of thing? Yeah, I have a problem with that, too. Okay, thanks for the call, Carol. Appreciate okay. it. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> I don't know. Well, okay. All right. Well, I guess it's been 100 years of of begging Chinese workers to come here to help us build a railroad and... We let him in. And, okay. Anyway. All right. Let's uh, go to Marvin. Marvin, go ahead. Hi. Uh, in your preamble, you mentioned the term Islamophobia. Uh, I don't know if we did or not. But. Uh, yeah. I think Rob did before the news. Hmm. Um, I think Brad yeah. Wall did. But, oh. Yeah. Okay. Right. Anyway, with regards to Islamophobia, a phobia is an unfounded fear. You just have to relate to what happened in the past week or so uh, in France. And, you know, your fears are well-founded. I want to get to a couple of points, though. Uh, CSIS is going to have to remove 600 of its officers uh, who are involved with counter-espionage. They're going to be moving these 600 officers to counter-terrorism to try and screen these people, but it's still inadequate. Uh, United States, uh, the FBI and its other services are unable to properly screen 10,000 potential uh, immigrants uh, they don't have the manpower, the people power. These people have no documentation. And now the people are putting an, a, a, a glue on their fingertips so that fingerprints are not available. That's just a... Well, I think Rob covered that off, though. I mean, if, if you were to obliterate your fingerprints, you would, you would completely destroy your ID train, and that would make it so that you're not suitable for the screening process in the camps. The, these one percenters that, the ironically, the progressives now have to decide, hey, we want one percenters in our country. But let me ask you this question, though, um, and it's an important one, Marvin. Uh, are you afraid of men? No, I'm not afraid of men, but I'd like to make a point about who we should take in. Mm-hmm. We should be taking in the people whose lives are being threatened at this moment um, uh, in Syria. We should be taking in the Christians. Uh, right now, uh, the uh, ISIL is going door to door in the Christian cities, putting on the Arabic uh, letter N for Nasiri. Uh, when the time comes and the ISIL is capable of taking over these towns and villages. Right. The Christians are the first ones to be killed. So we would, a, we would invade this country and then we would 
abduct its Christians if they don't want to leave, if they're not well, the women are refugees. abducted, they're made into, into uh, sex slaves. Uh, the men are killed outright, and a common way of killing well, is... I think you're talking about the Yazidis. I think ISIS is actually uh, giving Christians the option of paying the, the jizya. Uh, no, they're not. Uh, that's if, if they, <laughs> the jizya is the tax. Yeah, the tax are, on Christian. So you can convert to Islam and be a Muslim. You can be a believer... And and pay the tax, the inferiority no. tax, essentially. Or if you're a polytheist or a non-believer, then you die. Well, then you are really you're you're sentencing these people to death. Uh, why would one want to sell their soul for a jizya? Uh, one other uh, thing that I'd like to, uh, to mention sure. is that uh, these people are in uh, Syria. The ones who are being threatened. Those who we're bringing over are in camps. They've already found refuge in Turkey. They've found refuge in Jordan, albeit not satisfactory living okay. conditions. But the 40,000... We've got to go 40, here. We're right out of time. I, I get that. And, and you know, I think we need to, to look at all of these, these refugees. But obviously they're not fleeing Syria and running to Canada. So that, that's the big difference.